We're going to look at the gospel today. I think we all find this gospel very challenging. Uh, It's supposed to be. Uh, It's a call to discipleship. It's a call to the way of Jesus. His ways are not our ways, right? And so we're in this conversion process as we're hearing and pondering and taking in the words of Jesus. Let's consider Luke 6, beginning with verse 17. This is called the Sermon on the Plain. And it's a little different than what we know in Matthew's Gospel as the Sermon on the Mount. How is it different? I think Jesus is an itinerant preacher. He's going from place to place. And this is probably another version, a shortened version of the three chapters that we find in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew's Gospel... In the Sermon on the Mount, there's eight Beatitudes, and it's spoken in the third person. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Third person. But in the sermon, which is called the Sermon on the Plain, because he steps down and he comes to a level place, and there's four Beatitudes rather than eight, and it's spoken in the second person. Blessed are you who are poor. Second person. Let's consider the beginning before the Beatitudes come upon us here. Jesus is training his ministry team, his disciples, in real life. They're following him. And so look at this, what's happening. There's this contrast between the crowds and the disciples. So let's consider that. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd, a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out of him And healed them all. What I'd like to propose is that Jesus is training his disciples not only in teaching, but in hands-on ministry and the power of the Spirit, you see. And it requires compassion. And so, to the crowds, Jesus is showing compassion. They're not getting all of his teaching. They're not even privy to hear all of his teaching. But he's ministering the mercy of the Father to them, and they have not received this from the scribes and the Pharisees and all the religious leaders. And this is something very, very different. And they're receiving the love of the Father in the ministry of Jesus. In fact, Jesus would later tell us, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You understand that God the Father is Christ-like. God the Father is Christ-like. If you've seen me, Thomas, You've seen the Father. One divinity in three persons. It's the same divinity shared in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And so Jesus has come to this crowd here on the plain to reveal the Father. What the Father is like. And he's going to turn some things upside down. He's going to flip some things from the Old Testament into the New Covenant. Verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. 
Now he's addressing his disciples. And he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they cancel you, and when they revile you and they spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. And here's the first command. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Wait a minute, Jesus. What are you saying? What you just described are the curses in Deuteronomy 28. And now he's flip-flopping those temporal blessings in Deuteronomy 28. Jesus is saying, "Uh uh-uh, oh, those can have a deadening effect on your heart and on your spirit when everything is going your way. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, here it is, your reward is great where? In heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. He's talking the same language in Matthew's version of this sermon. And he's talking about storing up treasure in heaven. About living for the eternal. And living in the eternal realm even now. Being able to rejoice and leap for joy in a state of hunger. In a state of poverty. Knowing that as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added. He's saying, I'm inviting you to trust me now. In the state that you're in, I'm inviting you to fix your eyes on the eternal realm. And this is not pie in the sky. This is reality. Jesus is saying, I want to give you true reality. He's turning our sense of reality upside down. He's turning us away from that way, Proverbs says, which seems right. There is a way that seems right. Have you ever gotten yourself into those situations where you were going and you were making decisions and it seemed right, but it ended disastrously? Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right, but ends in death. Jesus is turning their gaze from the temporal to the eternal. Happy are you who are poor, who hunger now, who weep now, and those who are hated, excluded, reviled, and spurned on account of me. What is he doing? Again, what is he doing? I think he's doing what he's always doing. Throughout the Gospels, we're going to see in these early days that Jesus is showing them how to, in these words, begin to live the crucified life that he invites us all to live. He's showing them with this teaching how to take up your cross and follow him in daily life. And it's a very upside-down, counterintuitive, paradoxical way of living, isn't it? To heed these words in America. (laughs) We live in such a nation and culture of affluence. And everything is instantaneous. 
And it's becoming from seconds to nanoseconds to nano, nano, nanoseconds. We want it now, and now is not even fast enough. Think about the variety of everything that we have in America and all the choices that we have. But he's saying to his disciples, to the impoverished, the hungry, the forlorn, those who are weeping, and the deplorables, we should say, those who are reviled and rejected and falsely accused on account of him, that God's kingdom is here. God's kingdom is here in the person of Jesus. That's a new thing. This is God doing a new thing that he promised in Isaiah. I'm going to do a new thing, and I'm going to bring that new kingdom, which is not new, but it's new to you, because it's going to show up in the person of Jesus, the king, and he's going to show you the way of life in his person and in his teaching and in his cross, and in his resurrection, and in his ascension. (laughs) And as you learn to trust him, all you who are forlorn, and hungry, and impoverished, etc., as you learn to trust him and to seek his kingdom, all your anxieties and fears, as well as all of your needs, will be provided. Really? It takes trust to even begin that journey, right? And trust those words before the provision comes. You must trust the promises and the challenges of Jesus before you see the manifestation of those promises, right? And so it's out of nothing that we say, Lord, I believe you will provide for me. He's beginning to show them the true nature of the Father and how to just merely trust him. He says, I want you to trust the Father. He's good. He loves you. Let's consider the four woes, which are actually curses. That word means curse. The four woes. And Jesus, throughout the Gospels, pronounces quite a few woes. Each one corresponds to each of the four Beatitudes. Verse 24. Woe to you who are rich, full now. Woe to you who laugh now. And woe to you who are praised by all now. Woe to you who have a life of ease and affluence. Not because those things are bad. But because of the effect of seeking the temporal instead of the eternal. And that's all they had been taught. That the blessings are temporal out of Deuteronomy 28. And Jesus is saying, no, those blessings transcend this life. Where we see Paul saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on what is not seen. For what is seen is temporal, but what is not seen is eternal. He's calling us to a contemplation that transforms our very being if we take him up on these words. If we learn to fix our eyes on the unseen Jesus... Jesus is no longer visible. He is invisible. He has ascended to the Father's right hand. And it's the writer of Hebrews that says, that's the very one I want you to fix your gaze on, and you can't see him. But you must fix your eyes on him. 
upon Jesus Himself. And in that you will have deep communion with the eternal. And so these four conditions, those who are rich, those who are full now, those who are it's kind of in that everything's cool, isn't it? Laugh now and are praised by all. What is Jesus doing with these human conditions? Throughout Luke's gospel, we find Jesus exposing the spiritually deadening effects of affluence and easy living and what that can have on the heart. We even saw that in Jeremiah's passage today. And this is a sense, Jeremiah turning these things around as well. Thus says the Lord, cursed, woe, (laughs) you could say. Cursed is the man who trusts in man, the temporal, the earthly, and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord, whose heart turns away from seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. There's no faith in that. He is fruitless. He's like a shrub in the desert, bears no fruit, and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. But here it is again, blessed the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree, and this is taken from Psalm 1, which we chanted today. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. Here comes the heat, but I'm not going to fear, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious, you see. Jesus is riffing from these passages, you see. Even in Matthew's version, don't worry about anything, but seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things that you're worrying about shall be added unto you. Is not anxious in the year of drought. You see the paradox there? In the year of drought, not anxious. That's the challenge, isn't it? That's the challenge of trust. That's the challenge of following Jesus right there. And Jesus is taking these texts that he has memorized and he actually inspired because he is the word, right? And he's giving them back out and he's reinterpreting everything that has been misunderstood about God the Father and the way of the Father and the love of the Father and the way of freedom. So what we're up against in our lives with these words, I believe, is the American way. I love America. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, I don't think. Um, But if the American way takes hold of our lives, you know, we are the ones who are presenting this way to the rest of the world. Everybody wants to be like us. And that's not because we're godly and we're seeking the Lord and we're walking with God. Everybody wants to be like us because... Locations like Silicon Valley, where we used to live, Apple Computer, Google, so on and so forth, that is beginning to rule the world, really. We have to really, really understand what's going on in the long term. I love my iPhone now, but where is that taking us 20 years from now? And so where do we put our trust, where do we put our affections, and where do we hang our addictions? 
You see, it's very easy to be addicted to material things, and Jesus is referring to this in this passage on the Sermon on the Mount. Addicted to material things, addicted to good feelings and pleasure, and addicted to the approval of others. Addicted to the approval of others. In this culture of affluence, it's described in the parable of the sower, where Jesus explains what he means. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed sown along the path. This is one of four, we will call soil conditions of the heart. The path, it's, it's where things are just running fast and hardened and, you know, the path is like so packed down because of the weight and everything that's transversing across it. It's a busy place, the path is. And there's no understanding when they hear the gospel preached. It goes in one ear and out the other. And the enemy is there to pull it away and to blind the mind of the person. The second condition, the seed falling on rocky ground, who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, laughter. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. What disrupts this? When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Third condition, the seed falling among the thorns, a thorny heart, refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Fourth condition, this is what we're striving for. But the seed falling on the good soil of the heart, the open heart, the heart detached from all of these worries and anxieties. Detachment, you see. This is about attachment or detachment. What are you attached to this morning that you know again and again and again, week after week, quenches and chokes the word? Jesus said that if you don't understand this parable, you won't get any of the others. And so that fourth condition of the heart, the seed falling on good soil, refers to someone who hears and understands it. And this is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Paul learned this upside-down way of living in Philippians 4:10 and following, lessons in contentment. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. That's a hard lesson. I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. Think about those four circumstances that Jesus is describing in today's Sermon on the Plain. 
I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to be in need. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is Paul saying? I can do all things out of context of what he's talking about here? No, the context is the up and the down of his life and his provision and his needs being met and sometimes not being met. But he's content in between those two extremes. And this is spiritual maturity, brothers and sisters. And you know what? It's going to be a lifetime of learning this, right? And so I just invite you on that pathway to spiritual maturity, to a life of contentment, and to a life of generosity where material things have no hold on you, where your 401k doesn't have its hold on you, or the lack thereof, right? But as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added. I've walked with God now for over 40 years, and I can say it's true. And we've been in the ups and the downs financially, and God has been faithful. And there's been times where I could barely seek first the kingdom. But when we return to the Lord and look to the Lord, he made a way. He's a way maker, you know. He's the way and the truth and the life. You know, Liz and I have spent a lot of time in Africa, and we have some friends here this morning visiting from the Bay Area, dear friends who spent a lot of their life, a lot of portions of their lives in Niger, as well as Kenya. And, you know, I, I think that we would all agree that some of the happiest people that we have met have been in Africa. Amid extreme poverty, out in the villages where we're taking water filters where they don't even have clean water, but they treat you like a god when you show up, you know. And yet, you stay there long enough and you realize this is not just the way they treat Americans, but they know how to dance without music. And I asked, this is one of my requests before I left, I said, would you do that dance again? And there was no music. They just went into it. It was so beautiful. But there is a freedom, you see. There's a detachment. There's not the same kind of addiction that I have. And so as I'm watching them in this freedom and in in, in into this true eternal joy, I'm saying, why am I here? And what do I have to teach these precious saints? And so maybe the Lord sent us there so that he could show us their lives, right? Sometimes short-term missions is that very reason. You know, you go to get confronted with a new reality that you don't need the things that you thought you need to be happy, right? And so that you learn how to live more fully in Christ and in his life instead of putting your trust in the things of the world the poor, the hungry, the weeping, the dejected. I think in all of this, Jesus is saying, and he will go on through this gospel to say in Luke, 
Take up your cross daily and follow me. They didn't have an idea of what he was saying. But he said it anyway. He would later demonstrate what that meant. And Paul is saying, this is what I got from Jesus. I, my ego, it's been crucified. I no longer live, but I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. It's that exchanged life, living in the eternal realm, knowing that all things will be made new when Jesus returns. And heaven and earth are coming closer and closer and closer together until he lands on this earth and he makes all things new. And the lion and the lamb will lie down together. That gives me hope for Nick, my dog. <laughs> I can't imagine a world without Nick and Cody <laughs> and our other Siberian Husky that we had. <laughs> so... <laughs> Do you want your animals on the new heaven and the new earth? I sure do. Life without furry creatures is no life at all. <laughs> and so, what does it mean to take up your cross? One way to describe that is this, I think. Then I'll close. What is your cross? Your cross is where your will in God's will, cross. So every time we have to make those decisions, that's a little crucifixion. Participating in the sufferings of Christ every time we turn to Him and hand over our addictions. My addiction to be praised. My addiction to be seen as this righteous person all the time. And to be praised by men. So they spoke of the false prophets, Jesus said. It's hard to take rejection. It's hard to take false witness. It really is. But as we learn how to give that over to Jesus, we're free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, walk in the cruciform way of Jesus, and you will experience freedom from all that causes anxiety and fear and turmoil in our lives. This is what Jesus does for us as we yield to him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.